Hello, neighbor. What's up? So, um, this is this is this episode should definitely be coming out on Monday. The last episode didn't come out on Monday. Like it was recorded on Monday, but it came out on Wednesday, and that happened because of network glitches and a whole lot of other things. Who else noticed? And I don't even release podcast episodes on Wednesday. But why did I have to release it? Because it's a commitment to you as much as it's to myself. You know, better just getting something done is better than making it perfect. There's a way it actually goes. Like done is better than perfect. Exactly. That's it. So that's really the motto this week. Just get it done. It doesn't have to be perfect. Get it released. Put it out. That's it. You know, we're rocking that ship. So I have an announcement. And I think this might be exciting for many of us. I noticed, I absolutely noticed that doing this podcast has been stressful. And I was like, why is it stressful all of a sudden? Why? There must be something I'm doing that is making it all stressful. And I finally figured it out. Remember, I've, I've mentioned Stephanie Sue on this podcast before. She has a true crime pro- podcast and she recently has, you know, established another podcast Okay, seven something episodes, so not that recent. Another podcast, Baking a Mother. And that one is more of fictional stories. I mean, her true crime is true crime. But then the other one is like fiction, maybe movies or novels or something. And the thing is, she's been telling stories for like six years or a novel or something. So when you hear her talk, she's like talking for an hour long and it's really interesting and you're all hooked. And definitely because as someone who's gone ahead of me i wanted to copy that i don't think there's anything wrong with it come on it's only human you want to copy someone who's gone ahead of you and it's killing it you know i mean she has like millions of subscribers and all so and thousands of reviews on apple Podcasts and wherever spotify and co you know rates uh, ratings and all that so i really look up to her and i noticed that when i was listening to her podcast to be honest, I don't listen to her podcast all that much because even the fiction version, she chooses stories that have a really dark edge. So whenever I'm done with it, obviously I'm thinking about it for days. I'm like, how could they do that? Humanity is so dark. Like she can tell stories that can stay on your mind for long. Like you'd rather listen to her talk about a movie or your book than read it or watch it. She's that good you get so the thing is she talks for a while like one of the episodes she released recently is like over two hours and then she doesn't seem to have a script maybe she has a point written down somewhere she's just talking even the dialogues line and she's guessing all of it i'm like how in the world is she doing this is it juju do you understand so i really want to be like her and I know definitely it's practice. She's been on this for years. I'd always trying to copy her without really realizing I was copying her made me start extending the stories, right? Definitely some of the stories really needed extension, but some of the stories I could have been more succinct. I mean, the name of this podcast is Novels and Bits, not Novels and Whole. And I've been doing novels in whole, like bigs and big chunks, and that's why it's been draining. So, I happen to see the script of episode number three of this podcast, like mini story. Remember, who remembers mini story? You can just say hi. Hey, I remember mini story. I mean, it's a girl who the goats ate her flowers, right? <laughs> uh, one of um, a neighbor, that's how she remembers the story. And I feel so warmed that she actually remembers any part of it that really stuck out for me so thank you never i am so grateful so either ways that story mini story was so brief that novel was about 800 pages long on phone and honestly the entire story i told it in less than three thousand words 
And I was like, how did I do that? And I captured the soul of the book. I mean, but then I completely eliminated the side stories. That was why I was able to say after that story ended, hey, you can go, still go read it because you find a lot of surprises because I was very succinct. So I'm going to do that for right now going forward. No matter how big a story is, unless it's maybe 5,000 pages long and I'm not doing 5,000 pages yet. So no matter how big a story is, I would really keep it to episodes max and between 10 to 20 minutes like I'm shortening this whole thing I'm not Stephanie so yet I don't have a big audience maybe when I have a big audience and there's a demand for the episodes to be longer then we can do it but until then let's keep this novels in bits uh-huh so who loves this announcement I think I love it I feel like a whole lot since I got to this point I've been like oh this feels really easy okay so let's get into the final part of one for all this would not have been the final part if i hadn't come to that revelation of let's keep this novels in bits okay so let's finally finish one for all i'm not going to do a recap today please if you really don't want to maybe start from part a like the beginning of the story you can just start from part b i feel i feel like you even get it better from part b yeah so part a is really cool too if you want to start from there but you can just start from part b if you don't want to but right now this last part is the longest part because part A and B I had crammed. I had I had over explained so many things, so it's bulky. But so part this part C I had to now be chop chop chop, right? So it's really long. It's longer than A or B, but I'll really try to keep it brief. And then stories after today, episodes after today will be way much shorter. Okay, so please look forward to that. Part B ended at the part where somebody threatened the king, or rather a group of people threatened the king that they are going to overthrow his reign on the winter solstice. And, you know, the king, to show that he's not afraid and everything, he was still pushing forward with the celebrations that would happen around the winter solstice instead of calling it off and being on security alert and things like that. So the, now that, okay, the winter solstice is just like a mere week, is mere weeks away, like it's not so far. And that's putting a lot of pressure on every security operative, in, including the musketeers, the order, yeah? So many of their missions after that day that the news came out that, oh, this threat is out, it required them sneaking into places. There's guys that's maids or regular folk and stealing information. Or one of the missions, Thea Staggett, who is Vedon's business partner, to get this contest, please listen to part B. He trapped her alone in the garden hedge after lying to her that her friends were there. Porty and Tanya ran after them. So Arya stayed behind to inform Madame of the development. Thankfully, no harm came to Thea because obviously this Vedon's business partner, you know, they're suspecting him of also being part of people trying to overthrow the king, part of being the Lafronde team and trying to part of the traitors, yeah? So that's why he's Thea's target. Targets are usually men that might be might be um behind scheming something against the king and you know against France potentially. So in any ways this man he tried to rape the uh, do something bad to her and obviously he didn't do that but definitely the incident shook up fear and because in the past there was a time she literally had to cut off part of a man's finger who was trying to force himself on her. Remember Henry, you know, 
That is Madame's nephew. He started acting suspicious. Tanya walked in on him at, at night in the training room because they have this room they train in. And he's like, oh, Madame asked me to gather some notes for her. Tanya was like, I don't know what to make of this. Another time, she saw him with beautiful sketches of birds and made flights. Apparently, whenever he's Oga, because he's an apprentice to a map maker, and his Oga is all these big men now. That's always the base and aesthetic value of the um, maps instead of really trying to gather the whole the full picture of a map he's just trying to only indicate pretty places in the map so and whenever he does that henry gets frustrated maybe he's debating with his colleagues so as a way for henry to take out his frustration he just sketches and the frustration henry is feeling that why is this man only including pretty places in maps why doesn't he realize that when he meets villages towns and cities from these maps they're raising them from public perception and people there would not be considered as anything worthwhile because if you are considered worthwhile your place should show on the map right when tanya told the girls about henry's behavior thea who was distantly related to him and had known him from childhood she was like hey i think henry's just frustrated might probably be overthinking this we all are on you know on an edge because of this danger to the king so two weeks after her initial debut Remember, Tanya debuted in Part B. Tanya was finally assigned her own target, and he was none other than the son of Vedon. The funny thing is, Madame never intended that Tanya would ever have her own target because she just saw it as, oh, she'll just probably be a backup for other girls. But then she saw Tanya's passion and resilience and was like, okay, she actually deserves her own target. She's capable of this. So, and this target that they gave her is none other than the son of Vedon Senior. And this her target is none other than the son of Vedon Senior. Vedon Senior is a person who they chiefly suspect as the killer of Tanya's father, like the person who killed Tanya's father. The person that all evidence is pointing to is this guy, you know, the bad guy. And it's her son that Tanya is going to be trying to extract information from. So Tia was like, oh, you're lucky that your target is young and he's not old. Madame was like, don't do not do that. That a young target doesn't mean lack of danger. Madame suspected that although this person, this um, Tanya's target, is what has influential as wealthier nobles, he must still have valuable information about his uncle that Tanya must extract from him. His name was Etienne, Etienne. Vedon. It turned out to be none other than that same guy she met on that her debut ball that she, when she was sitting outside and receiving fresh air, you know, the one that was all nice to her now. Etienne was handsome, popular among ladies at, at court, and smart. He was a sort who was overconfident, and Madame saw that trait as a weapon that could be used against him. Tanya wasn't to let Etienne know her last name, and she was to make him chase her. So more or less like, oh, okay, he's just chasing this pretty girl, but he doesn't know her last name or where she's from. And she, Tanya is supposed to not just make this guy like her. He's supposed to make him want her. Tanya met Etienne again at the palace. So when they met now, again, like besides that first time. And by this time, Tanya, she, you know, she's more experienced. She's more like, okay, in her element of spy, musketeer. So, and she's wearing this red dress. She's decked out in expensive gemstones. And, you know, he's all like, oh my God, who is this girl of my dreams? Okay. Also, she saw the king for the first time, Louis the Fourteenth, And Louis the Fourteenth, as of that as of the timeline of this novel, this Louis the Fourteenth, he's older than Tanya by a few months. So like Tanya's age meant. So he's like 16 going on 17. In her eyes, he's just a boy with a crown. But this boy with a crown needed to keep wearing his crown or many would die and suffer. And that's what she's fighting for. Staring at Etienne, it finally dawned on Tanya 
okay, now I, it clicks to me. We have had the vet on it. Because, you know, she was just still thinking, oh, where have I had Vedon Vedon? And it took everything in her not to react aggressively toward him. She confirmed, okay, he's indeed the son of her father's suspected mother, Monsieur Hubert, who bet Vedon. She didn't tell him her son name or about her background. She, she decided to play a call. They were talking and dancing. A man interrupted them. He wanted to call Etienne away on a business call that needed his urgent attention. Before he left, Etienne pressed a case on Tanya's hand with his eyes locked on hers. And he was like, Ugh. My God, so romantic. Just picture it. So unfortunately for Tanya, on the morning that Unfortunately for Tanya, on the morning that she was supposed to train with Portia, her body wouldn't cooperate. She couldn't even get out of bed without feeling like she would collapse. She was frustrated and took it out on Portia, telling her that there was no day she was feeling better. She just pushed through the pain regardless. And the reason she told Portia this was but I was like, But I thought even feeling better. And Tanya is like but my sickness, I don't have days I feel better. Just because I have some good days doesn't mean I'm better. This is always how this is. This is what it means to live with a chronic illness like mine. Don't don't you get it? Obviously, they don't. But she's just like frustrated. But then instead of Tanya um, Portia to like get mad and all that, Pato just come and said, don't worry, we'll rest. You get Obviously, Tanya still apologized for talking to her like that. And she was thinking, oh, Portia is going to turn on me like Margaret and the village girls. But Portia didn't do that. So two days later, she was okay. She, you know, she, she was having a better day, her body and all that. So she was able to spar with Portia. But the sparring brought heavy memories of training with Papa. And then she broke down in tears. Tanya and Madame brought her to her office. And the thing is, Madame had expected Tanya to break down since. But she's like, okay. I don't know why you felt it need to keep it all together, but I'm glad this is coming out, okay? And it doesn't matter if, you, if you're breaking down like this. It still doesn't make you any less passionate, strong, and essential to the order. Then, overall, Etienne wasn't what Tanya had expected. He wasn't a rake because it, they described him as handsome and always kind of seducing the court ladies. And so, obviously, he's really cocky, but he's like not that person who's jumping around and the womanizer and he's considerate, he's kind, he's sweet. It was a shame that his father was a chief suspect and they plot to harm the king. He and the reason why his dad is a chief suspect, this Monsieur Hubert Vedon, is because he doesn't have a title. You get they are rich or they are wealthy and things like that, but they don't have titles. And you know, if you've read English historical novels and novels can be very stupid in terms of they don't have money or maybe they're struggling financially but they want their son to marry a daughter from a rich home that doesn't have a title maybe the person's father the, the girl that they want their son to marry has uh, her father is a merchant that has plenty of money so they want the son to marry the girl so that he can obtain her dowry that will really be large they understand so titles is like a very big deal in europe at that time I think titles are still very big to people now, Seth. Personally, I don't have that much regard for it, but it's too close to be like, oh, okay, yeah, this, yeah, that, okay. Hmm. We've heard you. Moving on. Vedon was a person that sent an invite to Tanya's papa now. That time he traveled and then they now killed him at, that, at, at the road close to the, uh, to the Vedon's residence. But she's not like, okay, why did they kill papa? Like... Papa was just somebody who was traveling to open fencing schools. He wasn't involved in any of this. Then Madame now told Tanya Papa's secret. Initially, he had truly been retired as a musketeer, you know, by Mama's father now. Like her, her, her mom's father that has power, that not like that, has had his daughter marry the common person. 
retired um, um, papa. But when Lafrance sprung up that two years ago, he had been secretly reinstated as a musketeer. So he had been like a spy. He was gathering information on the people that were plotting to overthrow the king. Madame de Trevier knew all this because he told her about it when he'd written that letter to her, asking her to take in Tanya in case he suddenly died. Because uh, being a spy, obviously some people knows who you are and what you do and they're out to get you. So Papa's death was tied to Tanya's current mission, which is discovering the name of those plotting against the king finding these guys and bringing them down would be fulfilling what her father had started you get so that really gave tanya much strength of her to really continue on this mission because this was what her dad was doing that got him killed so now she has to finish it for him okay so Sometime afterwards, Etienne sent a letter inviting Tanya and the girls for the grand opening of a theater. He wanted to use Avenue to spend time with Tanya, get to know her a little better. In replying to his letter, Madame was specific. Hmm. Ladies, take notes. Madame was specific on the words Tanya was to use. Since the event was three evenings away, she would write that she had other engagements and it's such short notice but yeah well i would in quote make time you know that's how a lady answers <laughs> so at the theater they were having a good time but tanya felt dizzy you know like like it's she she's living with it and sometimes it can be more intense and Etienne is like okay let's go out on a quick stroll for fresh air so tanya learned that Etienne and his father they do not have a good relationship and it showed in his expression because it will harden whenever someone around him mentioned his father she asked more questions on the self face it seemed no cures but you know it's the kind of questions that you have to really be listening to really get something okay soon there was a ruckus in the theater an attack like there was a sound inside so Etienne was like they excuse himself to sort it out and the girls now gathered together they suspected that the theater opening had been a cover for whatever oppression was going in that evening okay so they went after the attackers the girls you know two girls but shoot one person tanya saw someone else but shoot him and in the process of chasing after him she had to climb this rope that the man had climbed to get on the roof as, as tanya was climbing the rope the rope caught and then the thing sent her falling like imagine falling from a roof like a tall place and look, luckily she grabbed the roof's edge and her body was now burning her fingers her arms everything and so the girls saw her, they were like, hold on, just hold on, hang on, let's go get a ladder. But as the girls were still getting, still ran off to get the ladder, Tanya fell. But Thea luckily caught her, tiny small Thea. <laughs> She's stronger than we think. But Thea still sustained a few injuries in the process, Sha. I mean, you caught someone that fell from it, like quite a distance. So their next mission was at the dock. They were there to confirm if indeed weapons were arriving in France on that night because Etienne had slipped to Tanya that his uncle's ship was making ports. Remember what I said that she was asking innocent questions, but he was, you know, he was unknowingly dropping hints. Okay, that's the way spy works. You don't ask directly. Just, just innocent questions enough. But they will just say like, oh, okay, I have this, I have that. And that could prove to be a big deal. So one of the things he had told her is, oh, my uncle's ship is making pot tonight. You know, the uncle that is working with that business partner that tries to rape Tia now. So they waited a long time at that port. Then Arya and Tanya, they snuck on the ship. And Tia distracted the men because she has to distract the men now for um, Arya and Tanya to get on the boat. They just dressed and say, oh, this fell. Okay. So there, they started recording what was in the wooden slats. They had this parchment and and something that equals to a pen today. Just like, okay, this is here. This is here. Then Arya pried open one of the wooden slats, like more of like a crate, a container or sort. On top, you have boats of fabric. But then there were weapons hidden underneath. So, and what, so meanwhile, 
soon the men came and they had to hide behind some of the crates. And then that particular crate they had opened, when the men were taking it down, one of the men, it fell into the water. You know, it's it, because it's open now and bolts of fabric fell in. Some floated. But those that, that they wrapped weapons with sank, obviously, because weapons are heavy. So Tanya noticed a piece of paper among the things that fell into the water. So she now... She was like, this might be important. So she now tried to reach for it. That's when someone saw her. But she was still able to snatch the paper. They now give them hot chase. So her and Arya decided to split as we were running and meet up at a nearby bar, the Gryphon. Please take note of that bar again, the Gryphon. That's where they wanted to meet up at, that bar. So Arya and Tanya, they were dressed as men. And when Tanya was eventually cornered by one of the gentlemen, thinking that, oh, who's this boy that is trying to find something against us? Tanya had to deepen her voice. She trusted her chest to look like a man. The man underestimated her. I think he had to be a brave boy. And he was like, I promise you, your cops, this is that, and all those threats. Then they fought. Tanya was dizzy, as usual. But her body knew this dance because she trains a lot, yeah? And eventually she stabbed him in the side. Arya found her then because she was just too shaken. Have I really just stabbed a man? They left that place. Later, Madame informed the girls that all that was needed now was evidence that connected these weapons. Okay, now they found the weapons. Then we now need evidence that would really prove okay, these weapons belong to these nobles so that arrests could be made. Arya wondered, how is it that these men had even seen us because we were sticking around so well? Tanya was like, oh, it's because of me. I actually saw this paper drop and it's not even important and I risked everybody and she's feeling bad. And Madame took the paper from her and read through and then she now beamed and was like, no, this paper is actually really important. It's a code, right? It could really be that evidence and need to connect the novels to Joe's weapons and end the whole thing, okay? So, Trying to crack the code was tough. Even Henry had to help. When the girls went to fetch some cryptography test books at the University of Paris, it was specifically, specifically Tiesha who went in, but Aria and um, Tanya were just around. Then Tanya, she ran into Athian, and then his father, Monsieur Vedon. You get, at this time, even when she, because she ran into Athian first, then um, Aria just excused them. You get it's a public place now. It's not like you need a chaperone not to be just behind you. So and why do I talk it? His dad came, the Monsieur Vedon, that papa's murderer, whom Tanya needed evidence to lock away. He came to take Etienne home to see his sick mother. Monsieur Vedon was so aloof, cold and distant. He had this condescending aura which fit him murderer. Tanya noted that he moved quietly. Obviously, now this is someone that's your father's murderer. Yep, you are noticing every single thing. And this man, he has his quiet way of moving that could have made it possible for him to sneak up on her father. That night, there was an intruder who stole my papers from Madame's office. It was a masked figure, dressed in black, and he purposely distorted his voice when he spoke. He spread a substance that induced coughing and dizziness, but not before letting a lock of blonde hair fall out from his head cover. It was the color of Henry's hair. Arya was the only one who heard the semi-quiet ruckus and woke up. When she spoke of how the thief could have broken in, she was thorough. She's like, he could have used the windows, he could have done this, he could have done that. And the thing was not making Atanya wonder, how did you, how would you know how a thief will come in? What kind of life did you live before the order? Because this is somebody that is the daughter of a wealthy noble. So how do you know a lot about poverty and thievery? That's when Arya finally told her. And the only person who knows Arya's story is Pothia, Madame Anthea, they don't know. So Ara lived in the poorest part of the city, a place known as La Cruz de Miracles. I, 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 see, leave me on this French words. So anyhow, it's the poorest part of the city. She, she grew up there with her mother, but her mother died a few weeks before she turned 10 from consumption. I think today that illness is called tuberculosis. After that, after her mom died, Aria had to 
pickpockets and she got cocky, learned how to pick locks and then, you know, sneaking into places to steal, steal big. And then she now finally to, decided to go for that one big last mission, you know, that would kind of ensure she lived a relatively comfortable life. She went to, she now targeted this house on one of France's most expensive living areas. And the thing is, she took her time for weeks. She examined the house, walked past it every day, observed, you know, things like that. She came up with a plan. Then on the night of her plot, she, to tell you that she's a very sensible thief, or rather she was a very sensible thief, all she did was carry the pillowcase. Anything that can enter a pillowcase was what she was just carrying. But on her way out, a man had stopped her. And this man was like, ah, there's a painting in my office, so that if you carry it and you, you sell it well, you will be comfortable the rest of your life. So they, she ended up sitting opposite this man and chatting all night long. And this man was a man of the house. And Ari had never ha- had a father. And this man, this um, man of the house that she was still, that she had come to rob his house. He, he, he's been living in grief because he lost his daughter. And his daughter would have been Aria's age. So he offered to adopt Aria. He raised her as a noble girl gave her the identity of his daughter and why that was possible is the man in quotes is kind of like a recluse he hardly goes out into public society so people didn't even even know he had a daughter who died so i I assumed the identity of the man's daughter and you and that's her name now aria but she used to be danielle a poor orphan so she has the most really the most interesting backstory really after this revelation aria asked tanya a difficult thing like can you not tell anyone that there was an intruder tonight that say you'll not be helping you you just tia would just have more nightmares like the youngest girl now that one yeah she's strong but then she's still young so something scare her like when they when they first heard that oh that people that someone left a blood warning on the king's mirror tia was like i, I hope they didn't kill someone to do that then you know madame had to be like don't, don't worry it's just animal blood but that was actually human blood they just thought her, like they tried to protect her sensibilities you know, I mean, fear can be brutal. At the end of, towards the end of this book, she hit somebody so hard, like beat a man up so thoroughly, one of the men who tried to rip also, that the man died from the injuries and she was satisfied. This fear. But at the same time, she's someone that, like this, she's young. So you're trying to protect her sensibilities. That sort of thing, okay? So just said, don't tell them about the intruder because they are only suffer nightmares and poor Tia, she's not already sleeping well, so you just make her sleep worse. As for Madame, <laughs> Madame still has this snobbish um, qualities despite all her talk of womanhood and strength. The only reason why Aria was in her school was because she thought Aria's father trained her, but she had learned that maybe Aria used to be this poor girl. Maybe Aria would not even be in her school. And look at the thing, why my, Madame had learned to fight out of, oh, I wanted to be musketeer, it's the only thing I ever wanted. She's still a rich girl, yeah, Madame. But Aria learned to fight, not out of passion, but out of survival. Aria is somebody that, she's just very secretive and things like that. And we'll see how that goes for her. Because as secretive can sha annoy, it can rankle sha. But it also helps. So either way, there's always two sides of a coin. So that intruder... Ira suspected that it's an insider because she felt that the dock workers, like, you know, that time they went to the dock for a mission, she felt that those people had been tipped off. She suspected Madame might secretly be working with the very nobles they were trying to discover, or it might be Henry. Remember that golden hair that picked out? Henry's hair is golden, brown, and, you know, Henry has been acting suspicious. So they're like, okay, Henry, 
I mean, Aria is convinced, is ready to paint anybody as a target. She's the one that she does it so coldly. But obviously, Tanya is still more of the emotional one. And she's like, but Harry is kind and he doesn't really fit the act. Uh, well, we'll see.